Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in most places in the world today when somebody wants to build a house, maybe not most places, but many places at least, when somebody wants to build a new house, they typically have to follow certain rules. The house has to conform to certain standards and safety rules set by the government. And if it doesn't, it won't pass inspection. Following or conforming to the government standards is important. It's important when you're building a house and there's other things too. But, but what about worshiping and serving the Lord? Is there a standard that our worship of the Lord and service to Him in life is, has to conform to? Why am I asking that question? Well, a few weeks ago we began looking at the the Ten Commandments, studying the Ten Commandments. Not because we can save ourselves by them, by keeping them. We cannot be saved by the works of the law because all of us fall short of what God requires in His law. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace alone. The Bible is very clear on that. The only way to be righteous before God is by a true faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible is also clear that when we are saved, then Christ also works in us by His Holy Spirit and increasingly renews us according to His image. And that means that when we are Christians, God's law becomes important to us. The Holy Spirit writes it on our hearts so that we begin to love it and we want to keep it out of thankfulness to God for saving us, for redeeming us from sin and death and hell through our Lord Jesus Christ and His once for all sacrifice on the cross. But in order to do that, in order to keep God's law, we need to know it and we need to understand it. And that just by way of review is why we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first commandment, and we learned that the Lord requires our allegiance, our devotion to Him as God. We are to have no other gods before Him. And that means that we are called to worship Him alone, because He alone is God. And we are to serve Him alone as God in all of life. Not just at church, but at home, at, at work, at school. And, and so on. But now the question is, does God care how we do that? Or can we worship Him? Can we serve Him any way we think? Our tendency by nature is to think that we can. To think that there's no standard that our worship of the Lord and our service to Him needs to, to conform to. It's up to us. It's, it's, it's up to our ideas. It's up to our preferences. It's up to our tradition, our heritage, our culture, and so on and so forth. But the second commandment challenges that. In Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, where, this, where we find the second commandment, it teaches us that there is a standard. It teaches us that we cannot worship and serve God in whatever way we like. What does the second commandment say? It says, Exodus 20, verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image 
or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. But what is the Lord telling us here? He's telling us that the way we worship and serve him matters. The use of graven images, man-made images, to represent him, to worship him, or to serve him is forbidden. You might be thinking, well, the commandment doesn't actually say, it doesn't explicitly say that the, 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 the forbidden images are images of the Lord, and you're right. But it's implied because the first commandment has already forbidden idolatry. So the images that the second commandment forbids are not, at least primarily, a reference to images of false gods, idol gods, but of the Lord. And other passages, such as Deuteronomy 4, which we read, they make that clear. So what the second commandment forbids then is representing and worshiping and serving the Lord by the use of graven or carved images of Him. That was the way that the nations around Israel worshipped their gods. They carved out graven images out of wood or stone to represent them and, 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 and to bow down to them and to serve them. But that's not the way Israel was to worship and serve the Lord. They were not to use man-made images. They were to worship and serve Him according to His word. And the same is true for us today. In other words, we may not worship and serve the Lord whatever way we like according to our own imagination. We are to serve and to worship Him in all of life according to His Word. That's what the second commandment requires. And so with God's help, we want to look at our text, Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, in connection with several other passages and the biblical teaching summarized in Lord's Day 35 under this theme. The second commandment requires the conformity of our worship to God's Word. So we'll have three headings. First, The thorough extent of this conformity. Secondly, the great reason for this conformity. And thirdly, the priceless effect of this conformity. So first, let's let's notice the thorough extent of this conformity. And, And we're going to spend most of our time here this morning, or this afternoon rather, on this first point. So again, Exodus 20 verse 4 And 5 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. That doesn't leave any room for worshiping and serving the Lord our own way, does it? Our worship of the Lord must be thoroughly conformed to His word. Because for one thing, the second commandment forbids All images of the Lord. We may not make any image, any likeness at all of Him. There's nothing in the whole universe that we may may make or, or copy and make to represent the Lord. We may not make any likeness of anything. And notice how emphatically, how thorough, either in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. Reminds me, makes me think a little bit of how parents, parents, uh, you know, sometimes they tell their children to clean up their room. Maybe some of you children, young people, you know what I'm talking about. Your parents, maybe it's that Saturday chore that you dread. Your parents come and 
and he say something like this to you, you need to clean your room and you need to do it thoroughly. You cannot leave a mess anywhere in your room, not in your closet, not in, under your bed, and not in your desk drawers. You may not leave any mess at all. That's a little bit like what what God is saying about our worship and service of him. He forbids any likeness of anything, of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. He does not want any graven images at all, any likeness of him at all. Which maybe you say, how is this relevant for us today? We might think we're not tempted to make a carved image to represent the Lord, to serve or worship Him by it. But here's the thing, the Lord doesn't just forbid physical images of God. Images made of wood or stone or metal. He doesn't just forbid physical representations of Him with something in His creation. He forbids thinking of Him according to our own ideas. And maybe you think, well, Pastor, aren't you reading, reading into the text there? It doesn't say that. I'm not reading into the text, and here's why. Because Jesus, he made clear when he was on earth that the commandments are not just about our outward physical conduct. They're about our inward thoughts. You remember how he said on the Sermon on the Mount, whoever looks at a woman with lust commits adultery with her already in his heart. He's already breaking the seventh commandment. Sinful anger and hatred of a brother, he said, is already breaking the sixth commandment. You shall not kill. And that applies to all of the commandments. Also this one. Just like looking with, 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 with lust at a person is committing adultery in our heart, so thinking of the Lord according to our own ideas is making an image of Him in our hearts. In fact, that's how making a physical image of Him actually starts, doesn't it? It starts with thinking of Him according to our own ideas. You think, children, about a Lego house or maybe a, a, a Play-Doh uh, animal of something, some kind, maybe a snake or something like that. How was, it, how was that made? How did you make that? It didn't just make itself, did it? No, you imagined the house or the snake in your mind and you made that Lego or that Play-Doh into that image. Maybe the image wasn't clear at the beginning, but it became clearer as you began to build. Or maybe someone else imagined it in their mind and they put it, they put they, they put it in a, a book of instructions for you to follow. But the point is that Lego, that Lego house or that Play-Doh snake started with an image in your mind. You cannot say it just came out of nowhere. Like Aaron, the high priest, when Moses, in Exodus 32, when he tried to tell Moses that the golden calf that he had made for the Israelites, well, he just took the gold and the jewelry that they gave him and put it in the fire, and it just came out. You can't claim that. He couldn't claim that. It doesn't work that way. Physical images, including physical images of the Lord, starts with images and ideas of him in our minds. And don't we ever do that? We might not actually get to the making of the physical image. But how often do we make an image of the Lord 
in our minds. How often do we think of him according to our own ideas or our own thoughts or our own understanding? We might not do it consciously. We might not say to ourselves, I'm going to imagine the Lord now in this way, but, but it can show in the way we live. Think of the people, just as an example, the people in Psalm 50. We sang from that song just a moment ago. Outwardly, they worshipped the Lord rightly. They gave sacrifices and burnt offerings, and that was all good. The Lord didn't rebuke them for that. That was right. But the Lord's response, as he continues to respond, tells us that they were doing it with the wrong idea about him. They thought of him as needing their sacrifices. They thought of him as someone who would be happy with them as long as they gave him enough sacrificial animals. They thought of him as someone that through their sacrifices they could bribe into blessing them. And we can do the same kind of thing. We can think of God as someone who will be happy with us. Someone we can bribe into blessing us as long as we come to church on Sundays. But the rest of the week, we can live however we want. We can do whatever we want. We can promote and participate in stealing, in committing adultery, in lying, and slandering our brothers. And because the Lord doesn't do anything about it, well, it's no problem. You see what we've just done? We've made an image of the Lord in our minds. We've thought of him according to our own ideas as someone we can bribe. And that's what the Lord tells the people in Psalm 50. In the second half of verse 21, I'm just paraphrasing, but he says, you thought, you thought I was just like you. That's breaking the second commandment. And there are other ways we can do that too. What about thinking of the Lord as, as someone who, who would never send anyone to hell? What about thinking of the Lord as someone who is less than sovereign? And on the other hand, what about thinking of the Lord as being hard-hearted and unwilling to forgive and to save sinners who come to Him, as being unwilling to save you through faith in His Son? The Lord himself reveals in his word that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. Everyone should turn from their wicked way and live. And so are you not then breaking the second commandment when you refuse because you think he's not willing? What about thinking of the Lord? Living as if he doesn't care about our needs. As if he's unable to help us in our troubles. Is that not breaking the second commandment? Is that not making a graven image of him in our minds? Is that not thinking of him according to our own ideas? The Lord forbids all man-made images of him. Also the images of him that we think up in our minds and hearts. But we shouldn't think that actual physical images are a thing of the past. We shouldn't think we don't need to be concerned about physical images of the Lord. We do. Think about pictures of Jesus or movies of him 
or nativity scenes or crucifixes. Is that not something we need to watch out for? I, I know how difficult this is. I've struggled with it myself. Because many Christians, even some well-known, biblically sound Christian leaders, have no problem with these things. They say that pictures of Jesus are okay because we're not worshiping them. And after all, Jesus was and is a real human being. People saw him. Yes, that's true. But while we should love our fellow Christians who maybe hold to this view. And we can appreciate the work that they do in many areas. We need to ask, are they right? Jesus it was and is a real human being, but he is also God. He's God and man in one person. When people saw the Lord Jesus, when he was here on earth, they were seeing God in the flesh. And they should have worshipped him. Most of them didn't because they didn't believe that he was God. They didn't think he really was God. But he was and he is. Whether they realize it or not, when they saw Jesus, they were seeing God in the flesh. And I don't want to try and split hairs here. But the point is, we cannot separate the humanity and the deity, the godness, if I may use that term, of Jesus. And that means that a man-made picture of Jesus is by definition a man-made picture of God. Right? Do you follow? And that's what the second commandment forbids. No matter how harmless and how helpful it may seem to us. That's what it says. It doesn't forbid making images of God in order to worship Him. It forbids making them or worshiping them. It forbids making any likeness to represent the Lord of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You can't get more thorough than that. Our worship of Him must be thoroughly conformed to His Word, not our own ideas. And that includes all of our worship. The Lord, He, he forbids making any image of Him. He forbids bowing down to them and serving them. In other words, all our worship of Him, all of our service to Him must be conformed to His Word rather than our own ideas. That includes our public worship of Him in church. But it also includes that the way we serve Him in our families and the way we teach our children about Him and the way we serve Him at work or in the home or at school, the way we speak of Him to others, all of it is to be done His way. On his terms, not our way or on our terms. It really includes all of our, our whole life because our whole life, you see, is to be a, a, a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, is to be a life of thankful service to him because we are not our own. We belong to the Lord. And that means, that means we should be familiar with God's word, shouldn't we? Because our whole lives should be thoroughly conformed to his word. Are they? 
is yours, is mine, thoroughly conformed to the word of God. But maybe you're thinking, well, why so extreme? I mean, why does God demand this, the, the, the conformity of our worship to his word to such a thorough extent? Well, the Lord tells us why, and that brings us to our second point, the great reason for this conformity. And we see this in our text in the, in the second part of Exodus 20, verse 5. After giving his command, his thorough command, the Lord says, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now what in the world does that mean? I mean, usually we think of being jealous as, as something sinful, don't we? We think of it as being greedy or envious of something that, uh, being, of something that somebody else has, being covetous of, of, of something that doesn't belong to us. But that's not the meaning here. The Lord being jealous is not his being covetous of something that doesn't belong to him. It's his zealous desire for what does rightly belong to him. And it's that zealous desire, it's his being jealous in that way that is the great reason why he requires the conformity of his worship to such a thorough extent. You see, the Lord is jealous for his honor. For his glory. And that rightly belongs to him. The problem with making and worshipping and serving man-made images of him, whether physical or mental, is that it robs the Lord of his glory. Because his glory is incomparable. The Bible makes clear over and over again that we cannot compare the Lord to anyone or anything. A couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the first commandment, we read from Isaiah 46. And let me remind you what it says in verse 5. He, the Lord says there, to whom, Isaiah 46, verse 5, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? Well, how are we supposed to answer? No one. And he makes that clear in verse 9. I am God. And there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. But maybe you're thinking, okay, but doesn't the Lord, doesn't the Lord sometimes speak of himself as a rock or a shield or something like that? Yes, he does. And that naturally creates a picture in our minds, a picture of a rock or of a shield protecting a, a soldier. But that rock or shield in our minds isn't meant to be a picture of him. It's a picture that's meant to represent something about him, about his might or his power or his protection. But man-made images of him and worshiping and serving those images are forbidden, no matter how glorious and no matter how majestic they may be, because God's glory and his majesty is infinite. He himself is infinite. He has no bounds. But you see, an image, an image, it does. An image isn't infinite. An image is limited. And so is its glory and majesty. And so to, to, to make an image and to say that this is God is to rob him of his glory and majesty, not to mention his sovereignty. And the Lord is not okay with that. 
He says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, that his glory he will not give to another, neither his praise to graven images. He's jealous for his glory, the glory that rightly belongs to him. And by the way, that's not a bad thing for us. It's a good thing. Think about it. What if the Lord didn't care about his glory? What if he were okay with us making images of him and worshiping and serving them? What would that mean? Wouldn't it mean this? That the Lord doesn't want us to know him? That he doesn't want a real relationship, a close fellowship with us? That's what we deserve. He'd have every right, the Lord would have every right to leave us to ourselves because by nature we are his enemies. We don't care. It's really we who don't care about his glory. We don't want a real relationship by nature, a close fellowship with him. He has every right to leave us to ourselves and to our images, but he doesn't. Why? Because he's jealous for his glory, and he's jealous for his glory because he wants to us to know him. You see, you see, the commandments are not burdensome. The reason the Lord requires thorough conformity of our worship to his word is because he's a jealous God. And he's not just jealous for his glory, but he's jealous also for his relationship with us, with his covenant people. And the Lord emphasizes that in our text. He doesn't just say, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. He says, I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. You see, the problem with images, the problem with worshiping the Lord according to our man-made ideas of him is that it ultimately leads to forsaking him for other gods. Breaking the second commandment leads ultimately to breaking the first commandment. And to put it another way, false worship of God ultimately leads to worship of false gods. False worship of God, when we don't repent of it, ultimately leads to worship of false gods. That's what happened in Israel. When the kingdoms of Judah and Israel split, Jeroboam, the king of the Israel in the north, he was afraid that if the people went to the temple in Jerusalem to worship the Lord, as they were called to do, then they might go back to the king of Judah. And so he came up with this idea. He made a couple of golden calves, and he said to the people, he, he placed them in a, in a couple of different places, and he said to the people, Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And so the people, they, they worshipped these man-made images, these golden calves, as images of the one who had brought them up out of Egypt, of, as images of the Lord. But what eventually happened? If you know the history of, 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 the, of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they didn't just stay that, with that, but they ended up worshiping false gods like Baal and Asherah and Molech. Their false worship of God led to worship of false gods, but the Lord doesn't want that. The reason he wants our worship to be so thoroughly conformed to his word is because he's a jealous God. He's jealous for his relationship with us as his covenant people because we belong to him. You see, his jealousy is a sign of his love. In fact, he's so jealous. He's so jealous 
that he says he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate him. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to punish innocent children for the sins of their fathers. No, he says elsewhere that he doesn't do that. But the assumption here is that our iniquities and our distorted images and hatred of God are passed on to our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's just what tends to happen, you see. We influence our families, our children's. When parents live in unrepentant disobedience and hatred of God, their descendants tend to live the same way. And the Lord is so jealous of his relationship with us that he warns us that if we live that way, in hatred of God, his punishment will affect our descendants as far as our great-grandchildren. I'm going to guess that every one of you here loves your family. You love your children and your grandchildren and maybe your great-grandchildren if you have them. We don't want that, do we? It's a sobering warning. But again, it shows us just how much he cares for us. It's a bit like, imagine children, you lived in a busy city and your parents said to you, They said you could play in the front yard, but you may not go anywhere near the road. And if if they see you doing that, then you will not be allowed to play in the front for, uh, let's say, several days, maybe, maybe a week. That's a pretty sober warning. But it's not because they're being mean. It's because they care for you. It's because they don't want you to get hurt. They don't want you to die. They don't want you to get hit by a car. And it's the same thing with this sober warning, with the second commandment. It's not because the Lord is being mean or cruel. It's because he cares for his people so much. He's jealous for his relationship with us. Like a husband who loves his wife is rightly jealous for his relationship with her. You see, his warning shouldn't drive us away from God. We shouldn't look at this warning in Exodus 20 and say, well, that's... Uh, yeah, it should make us fear him, but it shouldn't drive us away from him. It should draw us closer to him in faith and obedience and love. Oh, how much the Lord cares. It should move us. It should move us to all the more diligently than seek to worship him in, uh, and serve him according to his word. But maybe we still struggle with that. I mean, maybe that seems a little restricting, perhaps even a bit boring. Well, that brings us to our last point. I'm going to be very brief here, but I want to note just two things, two things with the second commandment that emphasize the priceless effect of the conformity of our worship to God's word. First, from Exodus 20, verse 6, and then uh, in, line in, in, in light of Colossians chapter 2. So notice first in Exodus 20, verse 6, the Lord's amazing promise attached to this commandment. Like the warning, it's it's showing us again how jealous the Lord is for his relationship with us. He's so jealous that he not only warns us that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate him, but he also promises us that he will show mercy. He will show steadfast love to thousands of them that love him and keep his commandments. And that thousands there means thousands of generations. 
Wow. In other words, when we live in love and obedience to God, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit as the fruit of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, the Lord will show His mercy, His steadfast love to us and our, and our, and, and our the generations as long as we can imagine. That's the promise attached to the second commandment. You see, what a gracious reward, what a priceless effect of the conformity of our worship to the Word of God and of our sincere love and obedience of Him, even, even with all of its imperfections. And you say, how can that be? You know, it can only be through His Son, the image of God. can only be through our Lord Jesus Christ and his work of salvation. It can only be through the gospel. And you see, that's ultimately what the second commandment is all about. And that's the second thing that emphasizes the priceless effect of this conformity. The conformity of our worship to God's word is ultimately meant to focus us, zero us in on the gospel, on Jesus Christ. That's the point of Colossians 2, especially verses 16 through 23. There's a lot there that can be complicated and hard for, understa- hard for us to understand. But let me just highlight the basic, basic points. Paul is warning us in Colossians chapter 2 about worshiping the Lord our own way instead of God's way. The believers in Colossae were being tempted to worship the Lord through the Old Testament ceremonies that he had commanded, yes, in, in the Old Testament before Christ, as well as, as man, some man-made rules. But Paul says in verse 17 that the Old Testament ceremonies were a shadow of Christ. They pointed to Christ and to his saving work. But now Christ has come. He's the body. He's the substance. He's the reality of those things. The point is, the conformity of Israel's worship to the word of God in the Old Testament with all of its ceremonies, was meant to focus them on the gospel, on Jesus Christ. It was meant to point them to Christ. And the same is true for us today. The difference is that now Christ has come. We are, as Paul says in Colossians 2, complete in Him when we're trusting in Him as our Savior and Lord. And and, and that's why worship in the New Testament, especially speaking of public worship here, is relatively simple. We don't need the Old Testament ceremonies anymore. To act like we do is basically a denial of Christ, a denial of the gospel. It's like preferring your, a picture of your, of your spouse instead of your actual spouse. And so we shouldn't worship the Lord that way anymore. We shouldn't worship and serve God according to our own man-made ideas because that takes our eyes off Jesus Christ who alone is the way to God. The conformity of our worship to God's word is not about God just being picky. It's about God showing us and pointing us to and revealing to us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord we need and we love. Why then? I mean, that's not restricting. That's not boring. Is it? 
Well, then why would we ever want to serve and worship the Lord our own way, according to our own ideas? I don't. Do you? Well, then let's love, let's love this second commandment, congregation. And let's seek by grace, by the grace of God, to keep it to the glory of God. Let's seek to have our worship and our service of the Lord thoroughly conformed to his word. And when we fail, and when we fall short, let us humble ourselves and find our refuge in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I loved Deuteronomy 4. so moving to me how the Lord speaks of how he's going to judge them and how he's going to he's going to punish them because they're going to worship graven images and he's going to put them into another land but verse 29 so beautiful Deuteronomy 4 verse 29 if from there if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God Thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. In verse 31, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. You see, when we fail, we fall short. We find our refuge in Jesus Christ and we flee to him. And we may know that through him and in him there is complete forgiveness and grace and strength to run in the way of love and obedience. Thankful love and obedience to him. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. incomparable and indescribable and infinite God. Thank you for this second commandment. Thank you for searching us through it, searching our hearts, searching our lives. Though it may be painful, and though it may be hard, please give us the grace to be sorry for our disobedience, our breaking of this commandment. And help us to see the beauty of it. Help us to see that it's meant to lead us to Jesus. And so help us, O oh Lord, to worship you in conformity with your word. Help us as we go home. Give us strength and for all the tasks and responsibilities of this week. Help those going through trials and difficulties. We ask all of these things, asking you to cleanse us from all of our sins, also in this hour, through the blood of your Son who is the image of the invisible God. Amen.